Welcome to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with innovators, challenging the status quo to create a better world. You're listening to Season 1, our series on space as a service. I'm your host, Caleb Parker. That's at Caleb underscore Parker on Twitter and Instagram. And this season, I'll be chatting with executives creating the future of commercial real estate. If you're a landlord, if you're an asset owner, if you're an agent, if you're in corporate real estate, you need to be listening because we're answering all the questions you need to know about space as a service. Welcome back to the Work Bold podcast. This is Caleb Parker, and today I'm here with Matt Philkin, who's the COO of Al McCanter. Matt is a lawyer by background, but has extensive experience in the real estate sector. He has broad transactional expertise, having negotiated as both principal and advisor on property and debt transactions totaling over seven billion pounds. As COO, Matt is responsible for the day-to-day operation of the business, driving efficiency and implementing operating policies and strategies across Al McCanter and its projects. Now, Matt, Elmer Cantor is known for delivering world-class developments in some of the best locations, and you have assets of upwards of half a million square feet. Um, what, which one of your favorite projects to date? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, they're all completely different assets, and they've all had their own journey. So to, to choose one would be quite difficult. Uh, if I have to choose one, I'll probably choose Center Point. Uh, a few reasons behind that. As a project itself, it was incredibly difficult. You name it, we had it. Planning, construction, listed building, asset management, uh, conversion to resi, retail at the streetscape, you know, all of that, we had it. And to get through from where we were in 2012 to where we are now, uh, where it's a finished product, uh, it's incredibly rewarding to see what we've managed to do. But aside from the asset, we do placemaking, uh, you know, Alma Cantor, sure. we're all about um, taking an asset, repositioning it, but doing more than that. We're, we're trying to rebuild areas. We're trying to get Londoners using our buildings and the areas around our buildings in a way that they haven't before. You can see what we're doing at Marble Arch, same at South Bank, uh, and also Centre Point. So we've got Crossrail coming online eventually. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we've got the Outernet, which this is... This year, I'm told. Uh, well, let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's wait and see. Um, we've got the Outernet, which is next door to us. And we've got Public Square, uh, where we're just delivering uh, a new retail offering. So, you know, yes, Centrepoint's an incredible building, but also we're creating a new destination. Uh, and it's a destination for Londoners to use, which in the past has been a bit neglected. You know, people haven't really liked that end of Oxford Street. So... It's it's part of something slightly bigger than just, you know, redeveloping an asset. Well, it's certainly become a, a landmark in the sky of London. Uh, I, I know I've, I've been through the Tottenham Court Road area quite a bit, and, you know, I've, I see it all the time, just bam, it's right there in your face. Well, that's, that's the other thing. You know, in, in real estate, we talk about iconic assets a lot, um, but Centrepoint is truly an iconic asset. So to work on something like that, uh, you know, if you're a bit of a real estate geek, then that, you know, that's brilliant. We love doing that. Excellent. Well, indeed. So this season, uh, as, as we were talking about earlier, this season is all about space as a service. And, um, you know, our ethos here at Bold is to challenge the status quo. And, you know, we look at the industry and the way the business has been done historically. Um, it, it's a lot, a lot of changes happening, which is good. Um, a lot of challenging of the status quo is happening as well. But, we want to talk today and, and, and throughout the season about what's driving the space as a service demand. Um, just curious, you know, do you think 
Do you think space as a service and, and flex space, do you see it slowing down anytime soon? Uh, in a word, no. <laughs> Tell um, us how you really feel. So, look, I mean, the way we're living these days is changing. Everything's on demand. Everything is service-driven. And you, you see that in Spotify. You see it in Uber. You see it in Netflix. You, you don't go and rent a movie anymore. You don't go and buy a CD. You go, and, you go on Netflix and you, you get whatever you want instantly. And it's eventually, you know, real estate's catching up. Uh, PRS, probably slightly ahead of the commercial world where you see renters, they don't want the hassle of renting a property anymore. They don't want to have to deal with a buy-to-let landlord and negotiate the rent and the terms of the AST. They don't want to then go and take days off work to have Sky installed and deal with all their utilities. They want to choose a space, go in, everything's done for them, and they just pay one amount a month. It's easy. Mm. Of course, of course it's popular. And I think, you know, the way it's going in the commercial world, we're, we're seeing more and more of the same. Um, people need bricks and mortar in order to run their businesses, to be productive, to be profitable. Um, but do they really want the hassle of operating properties? Uh, increasingly, no, they don't. And they're more focused on their workforce and what's going to keep their workforce engaged, what's going to keep them productive. And what you really need is a specialist operator that can provide that environment for you. So, you know, the, the days of us as a landlord collecting rents, um, you know, it's transforming to us having to provide service, uh, space as a service, uh, and, you know, focusing on the end user. As a landlord, what does that look like for you? What does space as a service look like for you internally as a company and your, and your team? And how do you view that? Um, well, obviously, space as a service is driven by the occupiers of the building. So first and foremost, as a landlord, we want to produce best-in-class assets. We want to reposition things. We want to change how Londoners interact with our buildings. Uh, if part of that is providing a flex uh, part, then, you know, that's what we need to do. I mean, we don't, we didn't enter into something like South Bank thinking this is going to be space as a service as such. It could have been traditionally um, occupied. It could have been uh, space. It could be a combination of the two. Um, we actually ended up where we did um, through talking with WeWork and really understanding the trend that was evolving. Um, and you know, funnily enough, we got to the point where if you're going to give uh, an operator a couple of floors in your building, why not just give them the whole thing, and then they can run it as they please. And well, that, that's a pretty pretty bold statement um, to to say because in my conversations recently and in over the last couple of years with, with landlords and asset owners, to to allocate more than 12 or ooh, push the limits of 20% of an asset to, to space as a service. Well, that's like suicide when it comes to valuation, but has that not been the case? Uh, it's interesting. Um, when we spoke to WeWork about this in 2017, you know, the market was very cynical. They're, they're a bit worried about what all of this meant. Um, the agents and the banks, again, you know, they. They're just being cautious, which you know is natural. Real estate is a fairly cautious industry. 
But we we saw, as I said, you know, we saw how the trend was evolving, and we actually thought WeWork's plan for this building, South Bank in particular, was for what they call their enterprise clients, uh, which is the larger sort of blue chip companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a building like that, actually, you, you can see why that would work. Why? Um, why? Why is that? What, what about the building uh, makes it big? Floor plates, two hundred eight thousand square feet. You know. It, if a big blue chip wants to have significant presence in the building, but have all the benefit of being provided as a service and with flex opportunity elsewhere in the building, then it's perfect for them. They don't have to sign up to long leases. Uh, you know, it, it's exactly the space of service we're talking about. And you know, now here we are, three years later, the building is completed, it's fitted out, it's a hundred percent occupied. It's the world's largest co-working building. It was the fastest selling WeWork building uh, in their entire portfolio, I believe. This is the South Bank? This is the South Bank location. And, you know, it's funny because we, all of us involved with it, we we remember, you know, people thinking, oh, they're taking a bit of a punt on that. And we were thinking, well, are we, aren't we? And then we saw their fit-out plans and they would put a DJ booth in the lobby and a skate ramp and then we, you know you think mm, actually is this gonna work isn't it um and now it's finished it's it's an incredible building i don't know if you've been there but everyone i know that's been in that building uh just can't stop raving about it so for us you know going forward it's been such a success story um that we will always contemplate space of service in all of our buildings, um, you know, whether it's all of it or part of it, to be decided. But, you know, cause that depends on the needs of the particular asset, where it is, etc. Well, clearly there's been a... WeWork's been the talk of the town for a long time, but more negatively recently. And you're saying your experience has been quite positive. Yeah, I would say our experience with them has been very positive. They've delivered everything... They said they were going to deliver. Uh, they've turned around a fit out in a quick time scale. It's a great product um, and it's fully occupied. So, um, yeah, we're, we're very happy with it. So, then you talked about it. Or, uh, you just said that your experience with WeWork got you thinking how you look at developments going forward. Um, can you elaborate on, on how you see going forward looks for Alma Cantor when you develop new projects when it comes to space as a service? Yeah, um, we, so, you know, any, any new office building, you're going to start your leasing campaign whilst we're in construction. You're going to think about what the tenant mix is going to look like. And you know, part of that is seeing what the requirements are in the market. Um, but the common theme we're seeing is, you know, occupiers do like having an element of flex available in the building, um, whether it's within their own space or whether it, they might take some space and then have some flex elsewhere. Uh, so that's something that we, we're very attuned to. I think the statistics at the moment are something like 6% of London office space is flex, mm. um, predicted to, to raise to about 20% in the near future. And I think that's probably right from what we're seeing and you know, we'll be part of that. Well, it's interesting you talked about... Um Occupiers going into buildings with flex. That is that is a trend happening now, and, and I've, I've talked to a few instances recently where um, some of the large occupiers are 
they've actually adopted a strategy that says they're only going to go into assets that contain some sort of space as a service or flex offering. Um, so looking ahead, do, do you expect that Almacantra would would look to outsource this, i.e. like a traditional lease to someone like OEA Work, or um, will you operate it yourself, or you look to partner with um, the right brand for the asset? Good question. Something we have obviously thought about. In terms of operating it ourselves, can probably rule that out. Um, the reason I would say that is the players in that space at the moment, um, some of them are global in operations, um, you know, which we can't really compete with. Uh, but across the board, they're, they're very um, detailed, they're very efficient, they've developed their product through uh, trial and error, uh, experience about what the end users want and need. Um, for us to go into that space, we'd have to resource up. Mm -hmm. It's basically a different business. Um, so when you see the REITs who are doing it, uh, they're essentially adding new businesses onto their existing portfolio. And we're quite a small company by number. So I don't really think we would go down that path. So in answer to your question, that sort of leads us to partnering or traditional leasing for an operator you know, like WeWork or the Office Group or mm -hmm. sure. the other players in that space. How do you answer that? Well, I don't think there is a straightforward answer to that. There, there are a number of factors I think that affect it. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. What, what goes through your mind when you, when you're, when you've got the asset and you're determining the strategy, whether you, you lease to an operator or whether you partner, is, is what sort of questions are you asking? Uh, I, I would say the two key drivers to that would be the valuation element of the building. Uh, and the liquidity requirement of the, the business. I mean, the two are interlinked, really. But at the moment, I don't think valuers are particularly clear on how they approach either the leased um, service space or the operated service space. And it, it depends. If you're in a long-term hold situation, uh, you might focus more on just cash generation. But if you're a developer that turns uh, assets around and then looks to exit within the sort of relative short term, then you're going to be much more driven by the valuation element. And until it's it's clear how that's going to be approached in a consistent fashion, I think it's you know case by case. So I have I have two questions around that. Um, one is around the valuation, and, and one is around the partnership deals and. Maybe, maybe we start with the valuation piece first, because um, you mentioned valuers don't really, maybe I'll paraphrase, don't have their head around it yet. Um, how do you think valuers should be, be looking at service space um, and I guess the JVs and the partnerships? Um, I'm not sure if not having their head around it is necessarily it, but the, I think there's probably some inconsistency in how uh, the methodology is applied. But to me, you should focus on the income that's being generated rather than, I'm now talking about leased space, because uh, you know there's a lot of chat about the covenant of the various providers, um, how well capitalized they are, etc. But actually, the success of a building is driven by demand for the space and the occupiers. And the occupiers are paying a premium to have that service and that flexibility. And really, uh, 
that is what makes the building successful. And it's how you capture that and measure that that's the challenge. Um, whether that's the experience of the landlord, the experience of the operator, probably the two of them working together to weather difficult times. Because, you know, that's, that's what you're talking about. If, you, if you've got a high covenant 15-year uh, lease to a blue chip, that's easy because, you know, valuers can, can assess that in a certain way. But when you're looking at sort of granular income from lots of different companies that might be on three, four, five-year occupancy terms, it's, it's more difficult. And, yeah, I just think it's something that needs to be caught up necessarily rather than saying anyone's at fault. It's just I don't think we're quite up to speed on that yet. Yeah, a lot of the conversations that I've had is, has, has been looking at the, the hotel um, asset class and, and how that asset class is valued. Um, we're on a revenue or turnover basis, as you're, as you're describing here. Um, and perhaps, perhaps sir, the answer might be in um, wherever the percentage of the asset is space as a service and is a more transactional revenue generation, that percentage might be valued slightly different than the rest of the asset. I, I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, if you've got a 100,000 foot building and 10,000 of it is flex space, then the 90,000 you've probably let up on 10 year leases or maybe five year, whatever it might be. And you've got a traditional approach to that. But yeah, you're right. The, it's the 10% uh, that will need to be handled differently. So speaking of, of that, and I'll come back to my second question in a moment, but you mentioned the 10% of the building. I know that's just sort of you're just saying that, but in your mind, is there is there a certain amount of the asset that should be allocated to space as a service? Clearly, you just said the whole building you did. So which, is there a formula that you look at? Uh, no, there's no formula. It was more... The two whole building deals we did were more about just managing the space um, and not mixing our managed space with the um, service provider's managed space. Uh, what you're talking about now is if you have a partner to operate this, your own space that you haven't leased to them, um, then you know that, that's a different prospect and that would work in a mixed building um, because we would be in control albeit with a, a partner that's operating the space. So mm -hmm. I think that's slightly different. What does that kind of partnership deal look like to you? Uh, well, with any partnership, I mean, the main thing is the word partnership. So both, both parties have to be aligned. Success has to look the same for both. If you haven't got the same goal, then it's not going to work from the start, is it? But uh, I guess in terms of what the, the partner provides, it, they're the experts for the providing the service. So you need someone who's best in class. You need someone who's right on the detail that understands what the occupiers want, who are going to be responsive, agile, flexible. Because you know, for us as landlord, we want our buildings to be in high demand. Uh, for that to happen, really? the the service has to be a one. So it's it's a combination of aligned goals i think and then finding a best in class partner who can operate the space in the way that we would want it to be operated in what i've seen of your of your developments they're they're very high end um so in in that sense you're looking for a partner that's high end and is aligned with with your development your asset i think that's right but i think it, high end in one respect is sort of branding but the, the ability the capability the experience could span all different types of classes um, but yeah ultimately you would want a high-end delivery within our buildings and 
I'm going to ask this question, and I'm sure you're going to bat it back to me, but I've got to ask anyways. Um, what, are, what, what do you see as the right economics of that partnership? You just said fully aligned, but what does that mean really? Yeah, how do you answer that to apply to everything? You know, broad brush. I, d I don't think you can. I think you have to consider each asset on a standalone basis. You, you, may, you may have an asset that's got one principal occupier with a little bit of flex and maybe a couple of smaller occupiers, and you might have different requirements for that because you're holding back flex space for the principal tenant. You might have a more granular building where you just have a bigger chunk of flex space that is available for everyone. Um, again, it depends, doesn't it? But I mean, you could have a, a hurdle rate near the sort of current market rent with then a profit split above whatever's generated. You can have a pure JV sort of profit partnership that you'd negotiate. Um, or you could have some form of stepped guaranteed payment or combination of all of those things. I mean, it, really, I, I don't think there's a, a single answer to that. Matt, what sort of exciting projects do you have in the pipeline? What's the next development for Alma Cantor? So we're a really exciting phase at the moment. We're, we're sort of coming to the end of all of the existing portfolio and we're absolutely looking forward to the next run. Uh, so your pipeline, we're looking at a number of things. Uh, unfortunately, I can't really tell you what they are. All London, though. Uh, all London. Okay. Um, I mean, we're, we're very lucky. Uh, shareholders have the same long-term vision that we do, which means that we can look at really complex value-add, you know, the real nitty-gritty stuff that we've done previously, which a lot of people may not be able to do, um, either because the time it takes or, you know, the complexity, it just sort of puts them off. So... Um, on that front, you know, we get to look at really exciting uh, long-term deals, which you know, goes back to our placemaking approach. Um, well, speaking of placemaking, so um, I, I, I know I'm going to use another buzzword of, of co-living, um, but maybe, I, maybe we won't go so granular as to call it co-living, but resi in general uh, and, and commercial office space and then the other placemaking bits around that, retail, et cetera. Um, how do you see that shaping up going forward? Or do you see status quo or is that going to change? Well, for us, uh, mixed-use projects uh, are very much where we focus. We didn't set out to be a resi developer or a commercial developer. We are quite opportunistic. It, it just so happens that the first two major projects people read about were Centerpoint and Marble Arch, which have a heavy um, resi element. So I think a lot of people think we're a, a high-end resi developer, but that isn't really the case. We're just, we're a mixed-use developer. Uh, we'll continue to do that. And it sort of dodges the question, um, but every site's different and every site has different needs. And that's how we would assess every project going forwards. You know, center point, it was clear that that building suited a resi refurb uh, with some placemaking at the, at the street level with the um, inclusion of the retail piece. Mm. Um, you know, that's the floor plates, that's, that's lent itself to that. Uh, other projects would be different. Okay. So Matt, what changes in commercial real estate would you like to see happen right now? Uh, well, quite a few, I guess. Um, I'll, I'll, Get a list. I'll, 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 brought your list with you. Well, you know, there's, certain, I'll, I'll, there's a couple of things, really. There's sort of technical things, and then there's sort of big picture things. As a developer, um, 
the current planning system and the construction procurement routes, they're, they're two things which I think really need reform. Uh, the, the planning system is very lengthy, it's difficult, it, it, the consistency isn't there. Is that reform um, at the government level then? Uh, it is, whether it's local government, whether it's London as a whole, you know, you've got all the different councils which may have a slightly different approach and we need consistency across the piece and we need to know what is expected and, you know, what's what we can deal with. Um, until that happens, you, we, you know, there's a number of developments that are being prevented or delayed and, you know, we're not redeveloping the city in the way that we could be. Tied in with that is the construction piece. Um, and at the moment, the construction procurement route, you know, the combination of the risk and the margins, uh, it's just it, it's resulting in a, a structure that doesn't really work uh, for anyone in the supply chain. Optimally, so um, how would how would you see that changing? I know it's not space as a service, but well, I want to indulge you on this. Well, that's probably a podcast on its own, isn't it? <laughs> it um, is. Yeah. I don't know. There, there, there must be different different structures we could look at, such as turnkey developments, rather than uh, the traditional design and build routes with the supply chain. You know, the problem is once something goes wrong somewhere in the chain, the whole uh, machine can seize, mm. um, and uh, as I said, the margins are tight, so it's you could possibly get around that with a turnkey where you you build in a bonus structure or some kind of profit element but again you know it's, it's something that developers and contractors need to sit down and think okay. about but you guys listening uh if you got some ideas throw them out at matt because he's uh clearly it's a hot topic for him <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to see changed um i i guess big picture um it's the real estate industry it can sometimes appear a little bit traditional, possibly a little bit old-fashioned. I think it's getting a lot better, but I think we need to embrace change and new ideas uh, a bit more readily uh, with a bit less of the sort of, oh, we don't do things that way. Um, as I said, I think things are getting better. Uh, I just think we need a bit more of it. Yeah, I think traditionally there, there hasn't been incentive to, to embrace change. Um, yeah. Because uh, particularly the financial, the, the risk aspect, you know, lower risk, steady returns, and take a bigger risk and you fail, then oh, you go out of business or get fired or whatever. Um, so, but I, th I think, and I'm going to go back to space as a service for a moment, this topic, I think what one of the things that WeWork has also shown us is that w with venture capital coming in and, and taking some of this risk on, um, the, the, the landlords and the PE, the, um, the funds haven't had to take the risk on. Um, and, and they've made some mistakes, but they've proven a lot of success. And they've certainly proven that the demand is there. So I know this is very specific. It's not general, maybe, what you were referring to. But uh, I think from that perspective, we are seeing that change happen. And we're starting to see um, some uh, landlords, even some asset owners, setting up their own little funds that will take some bigger risks. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think it needs to continue. And people, yeah, it's it's difficult when you've got shareholders and you've got investors, and you know that's your, your primary focus. But I think with a little bit of additional risk taking, and you know, property development is fundamentally risky. Um, what we do is difficult. Um, so I'm, I, I guess I'm more talking about risks across the more conservative parts of the industry. Uh, and how 
you know, we, we, we move those forward, whether it's leasing and space as a service or the introduction of tech or new funding structures. You know, I think those are things that we just need to consider. Well, we'll have to have you back on another podcast to talk about all of the areas we can be challenges to status quo on. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So a couple quick fire questions. I've got three for you, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, and these are, these are just quick questions um, that you'll answer and then we'll move on to the next one. Who in commercial real estate inspires you? Uh, positive disruptors. Okay. Individuals you- and companies that do things differently, who aren't afraid to put their neck out and do something that isn't the usual way. Excellent. Well, we believe in that for sure. That's our ethos here. Excellent. So do you have a go-to podcast that you listen to? I uh, don't have a go-to podcast as such, but I'm definitely one of those people you see laughing at themselves on the tube. So I usually... You listen to podcasts. Some, some form of comedy podcast when everyone else is looking a bit glum in the morning, I find quite entertaining. All right. Uh, but obviously the bold podcast going forward. Well, all right. I'll, I'll give you a fiver after this. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right. So, so final question for you, and this is more just more personal. Where's your favorite holiday destination? Well, that's easy. Uh, anywhere where my kids are occupied for more than five minutes so I can actually sit down. <laughs> uh, when I find it, I'll let you know where it is. Oh, you haven't found it yet? No, All right. no okay. unfortunately, they're high octane. So uh, yeah. a holiday is, uh, you know, it's a loose word. Are, are, you, um, are you more of a sun or hiking or what's your, uh, do you prefer beaches? And- uh, I'd, love, I'd love to have the sun where I can actually sit down and do nothing for a bit, but um, I'm sort of dictated to by the small people, so we, we tend to keep things active at the moment. Okay. Do you, do you find yourself working on holiday or do you completely shut off? Um, as much as I would like to say I get to shut off, I think most holidays these days, most people do end up. Yeah getting dragged into something or other. I think that's just the nature of the beast. It is. Well, for me, I, I personally, I, I like to call it work-life blend. Um, because I'm able to flex my, my schedule, uh, I might be able to take a holiday, an extended holiday, or I might work from home or something because I'm just, I just sort of, I'm always on. Um, well, it's, it, you know, it's the double-edged sword of technology, isn't it? It allows you to be more flexible in how you work during the week, but it also means that when you're on holiday that you're much more sort of still on call. So, yeah, you know, I think I think you just have to roll with it. Indeed. Well, Matt, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate you sharing your insights. Thanks very much for having me. So for those of you who want to reach out to Matt, you can find him on LinkedIn. It's uh, Matthew Filkin. Obviously, he's got the Alma Cantor website, almacantor.com. And uh, again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, take care of yourself. We've got an exciting and insightful season ahead, and I hope you enjoy every episode. If you do, I'd love for you to share it with that one person who you think should hear the message. You can always find our podcast on our website, workbold.co, and click on podcast. And it would mean a lot to me if you leave the show a five-star review. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And finally, please do connect with me on social media. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker on Twitter and Instagram, or just search LinkedIn. Send me a message, a DM, send me your questions. What do you want to hear about next? Comment on my accent or challenge what we've talked about. I want to hear from you. Now, thank you for listening. And don't forget, fortune favors the bold. You're listening to a podcast company podcast.
This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at PodcastSyndicator.com or Brett at PodcastSyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.